Let's open our Bibles tonight. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 3. Book of Revelation chapter 3. Tonight's message was born out of an observation that's troubled me for quite some time. It's an observation of a personal inspection and also an outward inspection. Uh, we live in a country of incredible advantage. Uh, if you look at the, the whole big picture of human civilization, no other uh, republic, no other system of governance has afforded its citizens uh, the uh, means and opportunities that our country has given uh, each one of us. And even when you compare the most impoverished class of our citizens uh, compared to the rest of the world, they still come out ahead by, uh, by influence of the fact that they live in this great country of ours. And in the midst of all this gain with so many resources to access, it's our human nature to become complacent. That's just how we are. Um, in fact, the Bible talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and one of their sins being abundance of food. And we see our country taking a turn for the worse, and some of that has to do with individuals making poor choices without a doubt. And a lot of those choices do have to indeed do with turning away from God. But as far as the church is concerned, and we're at Bible study, so let's try to dig into some stuff that we can apply to our lives tonight. This complacency on the church is the thing that's, that's, that's troubled me for a long time. And we're in the chapter here in Revelation that discusses the church of Laodicea, the last church that the Lord Jesus Christ had addresses and uh, out of the seven churches there in Asia Minor and the the thing tonight that I want to talk about we'll get into it after we read through our passage but there are many factors that cool the jets of revival and there but there's one all-encompassing item and I found it as I was just looking through this because I, I think of the age we're in now as some people would look at the different churches as in, in the realm of epics, different epics, and we're in the age of Laodicean uh, churchdom, but I think that that has more to do with just the characteristic of individual churches. Not every church out there is Laodicean, and I would like to think that our church most certainly is not. Uh, but I do think that there can be more fire uh, in myself, at least. And I guess this, is, this message is more for me than anyone else, but I, I hope that it <clears throat> will be an influence on all of us to, to do a little more. And uh, I think I found what the Bible addresses in here as the root and the cause and also gives us access to the solution. So in uh, Revelation chapter 3... We're going to start in verse 14. 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot, uh, neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Tonight's message is titled, Ways to Escape Laodicea. Ways to Escape Laodicea. The passage we just read establishes the environment that so many of us Christians live in today. And it's been confounding to me, as I mentioned before, knowing that there's something with my walk that, that there could be more to it. There could be a richer, uh, more robust walk with the Lord and knowing it has to do with a lack of zeal but not knowing where to start in remedying the situation. So put your finger in this chapter or put your bookmark in this chapter. Put a piece of paper in this chapter. However you want to save it, we're going to flip back to it. What I want you to do is flip back Couple of, uh, couple of books to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Now, Paul is in context writing to Timothy, and this is a pastoral letter. He's, he's exhorting him, and he's, he's asking him to uh, do certain things within the context of being a pastor. However, we can most certainly apply these things to each and every one of our lives because most of them are functional, um, just nuts and bolts, Christian living principles. So in uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us there, uh, be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in, desperate, des, uh, in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. 
Now, it has to do with the creature comforts that we have. It has to do with the distractions that we have here being in the United States of America, with the, the wealth that we wield. And you don't have to be uh, Mike Bloomberg to be wealthy. Um, you, you don't have to be uh, this extravagantly rich individual compared to just about, I'd have to say, 90% of the rest of the planet we are, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, wealthy. Um, wealthy beyond the imagination of people in far-off places. And so the Bible addresses this time and time again, the Lord Jesus Christ not only addresses that with the church at Laodicea, but even in his ministry before his resurrection here on earth, uh, assuredly addressed storing up treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. And I want to point something out. In verse 9 it says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. It doesn't say they that are rich. It says they that will be rich. They that will to be rich. They that desire riches. So the issue isn't money itself. It's the love of money. That covetousness, that distraction, that is, that is the core of Laodicean life. And the thing that draws us away from a red-hot Christian testimony and walk. And Sharon was talking to me about a, a revival. I'm not sure. I can't remember the, the whole context of it. But she just said, you know, there's something that happens when somebody surrenders and you can see a church explode. Like there's just this one point where everybody just sells out to Jesus and you see a bunch of things happen. You, you see the Holy Spirit just pour out on this church and you see it, it growing. You see people coming in. You see people getting saved. You see people getting mended, made whole by Jesus Christ and salvation through him. And I found that interesting. And I thought maybe this is on the road out of Laodicea. It could be the road to Philadelphia. Um, and it's not money, but the love of it that, that is at issue. And also earlier on in this chapter, Paul addresses slaves. And an interesting thing about biblical slaves, they weren't necessarily what might be considered some of the slavery that existed not more than 150 years ago in this country of a br brutal, um, oppressive slavery. Uh, but simply a servant, uh, a servanthood. So, for example, today, if you uh, have credit extended to you, your labor until that credit is repaid is essentially owned by the one that has extended you the credit. So, if you've got extended credit with Visa, or MasterCard, or American Express, biblically speaking, you are their slave. They own your labor until you provide back that which they extended to you. So, when we look at a context of being content with what God has given us and how it is, it is great gain, 
in the life of a Christian. We do also we do also have to accept certain things, but again, the love of money, the wealth that we have, all distract us and water us down, at least for myself. So with that said, let's make our escape from Laodicea, starting in verse 11. Let's look at verse 11 again. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. The first point God's word states is to flee. Change direction. Go the opposite way. If we, uh, if we look up a little bit here in 1 Timothy, uh, verse 5, it says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. And we have today a very popular movement, a gospel of riches, of wealth, of gain, a, a gospel that... Uh, says that blessing is in wealth and riches, which is in direct opposition to the verse we just read. But we see that once you depart from the scriptures on this doctrine of contentment with godliness, you're going to you're going to fall to all sorts of traps. And if we flip back, hopefully you got your finger or a bookmark or a piece of paper here in Revelation chapter 3. These, these, uh, two, these two verses that, that I'm working on, these two chapters kind of go together quite nicely because Jesus offers the exact same uh, remedy that Paul offers to Timothy. So in Revelation 3, verse 19, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Flee. We see in our lives, we have so many things calling to us for our attention. Uh, So many gadgets and gizmos. New this, improve that. That, that call our attention away. Um, and I think that's just a, a, a terrible byproduct of capitalism and a free market. But we do have a choice to block those things off. And do we seek God about major purchases? Do we pray heartily about those things? Or do we just, well, i got to have it and let me get it and We'll deal with it when we're done with it. Uh, Living in the city is is especially hard. And with the different language pastors, I know Brother Lucas and Brother Shaw, one of the things they find in reaching people, it's different than reaching a Brazilian person here versus in Brazil or a Russian-speaking person here versus in one of the former Soviet states um, because everything changes when they come here to the United States. There's, there's, a, there's a different set of circumstances, and especially in the city where everything is at a premium. And it's very difficult to carve yourself out of life. That in and of itself, just trying to make rent, is very difficult. 
and it's hard. Uh, it, I think some of these things for us down here a little different than somebody that might be out in the country that might have a little more money to spend on certain things, but we are distracted nevertheless, especially in the city. There are plenty of bright lights and different things for our attention, for our money, for our time, for our talent. These distractions are what keep us from fully escaping Laodicea. But he says to change direction, be zealous and repent and withdraw thyself in uh, verse 5 in Timothy withdraw thyself move away from the source change your direction now the second thing from fleeing we have following and also in verse 11 after he says flee these things he says and follow after righteousness godliness faith love patience meekness and I think of a verse in uh, I think of a verse that's spoken of in the Gospels, the one that I just picked out of Luke. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. Mammon being the manifest the, the, the personage of money or gain. One cannot serve God and mammon simultaneously. The Bible is very clear on this. This is the problem that the Laodicean church had. This is why they were lukewarm. And here we have six things that that Paul writes for us to follow after. And might I add that these six things are really following after the character and person of Jesus Christ righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And in our Revelation reading, Jesus talks about buying of gold and white raiment. And in Revelation 19, verse 8, it talks about the righteousness of the saints being the white garment that they wore. I like how these things all kind of fit together, but this righteousness only found in the person and character of Jesus Christ. Not found in any other source. Not found in the teachings of any mere human being. The righteousness of God and godliness and these things follow one, one after the other. and faith and love and patience and meekness following these characteristics of Christ is that next step out of Laodicea fleeing, changing direction, repenting, following thirdly, fighting fighting in verse 12 it says Fight the good fight of faith. I see three things out of this fight the good fight of faith. In this fight, first of all, it's good. Now, most of us wouldn't think a fight would be good, 
most of us would think a fight would be rather bad, but in our walk as Christians and in our a battle against those invisible things of Satan in our lives and even some of the visible things, this fight is worthy of our effort because it is of God. This is a good fight. And in, in and of itself, the fight being a strategy, the good fight of faith, it's not just, uh, as Paul once said, we're not as those that beat their fists against the, the wind. We're not somebody that just sort of swings roughshod wildly uh, hoping to hit a target. Uh, there's strategy in fighting. And you can, I remember I, I took Taekwondo briefly as a younger uh, as a kid, and I just remember sometimes I would spar against the teacher, and I would, you know, I'd start to get a little riled up, and I'd try to get at him, you know, and then he would just pummel me with like a flurry of shots, and I mean, I couldn't stop him. Like I'm putting my guard up, and I just couldn't even stop them. But there's strategy there. There's 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 a technical approach, and might I suggest a technical manual called the Bible. We could, we could use this thing. It works. It works. And, and so we have the fight, fighting the good fight of faith in faith, in faith of Jesus Christ. Uh, a faith that once attained cannot be broken by anything. Uh, a faith that's secured by Christ. A faith that he gave us by dying for our sins. So we have flee, we have follow, we have fight. Uh, fourthly, we have fasten. Fasten. Now I made that I kind of made that word up just to follow a, a certain pattern here uh, of grammar, but fasten. In verse twelve, it says, uh, "Lay hold." On eternal life. Lay hold. Fasten. Uh, get a grip. Get a grip on these things. And a couple of things that I note from that is concentrate. Concentrate on the rewards that have been promised by Jesus. Laying hold on, on the, the eternal life that has been promised to us. That, that, that hope that Christians have, no other people have that. Ultimately, when you ask anyone other than a born-again Christian, what would happen to you if you were to die today? Most of them think or don't know. Most, a lot of them just don't know. Well, I'm not sure. I think I've been good enough. I think I, I think I'm a nice guy. I think, uh, you know, I think I did a good job this this time around. Or uh, they don't know. You know, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. We have an assurance that no other people have. In Christ Jesus, and so this fourth uh, means of escape from Laodicea, laying hold on eternal life, 
focusing on that return of Christ, focusing on that one day when we will be like Him, when we will be with Him uh, in the glory of glories, and focusing on that, bring, bringing that to the front of our minds. Uh, I think that when we take the time out to meditate on such things, we can't help but not think about the temporal things here. Um, you know, how can you, when looking through Ezekiel or looking through the book of Revelation, this imagery that's given, gold and, and, and jasper and diamonds and pearls, and I mean, this, this amazing layout that they, they, they give us in comparison to what, you know? Um, I was looking through this catalog today with a uh, lady I work with. It's, uh, American Express puts it out, and, and it has the $330,000 uh, platinum tourbillon uh, timepiece. Uh, it, it doesn't compare with gates that's, that are made of pearl, a, a, a gate made of pearl. I mean, that's a big oyster. That's a very big oyster, and it doesn't compare. There's nothing here on this this earth right now under the curse of the law that compares with what God has planned. And when we lay hold onto eternal life, we take our mind off of the, the current situation, off of, boy, should I rent? Should I lease? Should I, should I actually try to save money and get a house? It, it's killing me to have to throw this money out the window giving it to somebody else. But quite honestly, if you didn't, it, it, nobody really owns land anymore. To a certain degree you can, but if you stop paying your taxes, the state comes and takes it back from you. So really you don't own it. Ultimately, somebody else does. But that helps me at least get through every time I have to throw a rent check out the window. But anyway, we all do what we can, right? Maybe if I just laid hold on some eternal life, I, I might, might not have to even go there with that, but we can concentrate on the, on the rewards that have been promised to us in God's Word. Now, honestly, our faith is only as good as our actions declare. How real is our faith in God concerning our present situation? We get distracted about make, just making it through life. Well, godliness... Uh, with contentment is great gain. Can we be content? Do we have enough right now, right this moment? Do we know what's going to happen five minutes from now? Nobody does. Can't we get a hold of this idea of thinking beyond our current situation, being content with what we have, and seeking God and looking forward to those riches and glory, uh, those treasures that are stored up in heaven, those eternal treasures that we have, that we have, that have been promised to us, just as we've been promised that when we die, we do not go to hell for all eternity because Jesus Christ has taken our place and we have received that. These are promises that fit hand in hand. They're not separate. They're not ideals that, well, you know, this... This person, you know, is more spiritual than me, and you know, so they really get it. It's not. There's not much to get. It's the same as when you get saved. 
well, how much faith do you have? If, if you don't have enough to think God's going to keep you from hell, or if you do, then you should also have the amount that it takes to believe that, hey, right now we should be content with what we have and look forward to what wonderful things God has planned for us. And I think of this verse in Titus. It says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Titus just summed up basically, you know, the book of Titus, it sums up basically what I just said uh, very succinctly and very wonderfully. And in, in Revelation 3.21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. We're going to get to reign with Christ. He promised we're heirs to the throne. We have uh, Prince, uh, was this? Prince Charles there in, in England, and he has two sons, William. I can't remember the other one. I'm an American. I don't really care. <laughs> we got rid of the crown, amen? Anyway, uh, but these two fellows are heirs. They're like, you know, second, third place to the throne when the queen, uh, Mary, is it Mary? Who's the queen? Elizabeth? The second, thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, you get extra points. Uh, so when she eventually dies, you know, then we get, we get Prince Charles there in place. We have a throne that's eternal. We have a throne, we have a, a, a kingdom that is so mu- much more vast and encompassing and powerful than anything in the world. I mean... The, the, I guess the, the crown in, in Britain would probably be uh, on par with at least the last half of human civilization being the most powerful thing uh, as far as land mass is concerned. Uh, you might argue the Catholic Church. That would be another one that's gained many lands. But there is a power there that they still wield to this day, and they have for centuries. We have something much better. We're heirs, it says here. We're going to be sitting in the throne with Jesus and the Father. I mean, that's a big throne. It's going to fit everybody. Amen? That's a big throne, right? Uh, And so we have this idea of laying hold onto eternal life, fastening our grip, getting a hold of these promises that God has given us. Man, that how that can take your mind off of the next, well, I, I mean, for me, my, my job's been a little tough, and most of you probably already know that. They miss, pay, they miss paychecks sometimes. When they hit paychecks, they pay very well, and that's one of the reasons why I'm staying there, but also because over the years that I've been with the company, almost seven now, God has provided me the ability to live down here, and ultimately that's given me the chance to stay here to train. So... But it's not easy sometimes. We have to think about paying bills and rent and all those things, and it gets burdensome. And I know, I know what 
you know most most folks go through down here because of that and I know that it's hard living paycheck to paycheck but we're supposed to be content with what we have God meets my needs there hasn't come a time yet when I've had to beg there hasn't been a time yet when I've had to go to a dumpster to get some food I thank God for that and I need to I need to I I need to remember those things that God does provide those needs he, he has never forsaken me since I've been saved and I'll tell you what he's even before I got saved could have allowed many tragic things to happen in my life and for whatever reason out of his providence didn't allow it but even now knowing that he is my father how he takes care of me and how lazy of me and, and how pathetic uh, of a Christian testimony to be lax on witnessing or to be lax on uh, going out and serving him doing what's right standing up for the faith uh, speaking out it's something that happens in Laodicea and I really want to escape it this other, this other part of fastening that I thought about, we have this concentration and the other, the other idea was investing. Investing. And I look at uh, Revelation chapter 3 verse 18. It says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. Investing. There's three things in here in ISAB that we may see, that we may look beyond, that we may acknowledge the fact that we are in a miserable state when we're not walking with God in the right way, when we're not in a position to be on fire doing the utmost we can. The, the, our, our, the world we live in is watered down. Christianity is watered down. I think of great like preachers that I've, I've seen, uh, with that Sheffy movie, for example. I think of this guy, I, and I, you see him, and he, he goes, there's this one scene where he walks up to this guy who's out in the mountains making moonshine, and he has a still... And he's telling, he's telling this guy, and this guy's a pretty menacing fellow. He better stop it. And, uh, and then he prays out loud while the guy, he, he prays out loud in front of the guy. And he goes away, and, and this guy, he ends up, his still, well, I guess, I don't know how true this account is, but I thought it was pretty amazing. But Lightning hits a tree and knocks the still out. Now, I don't know if that really happened, but I believe that he did reach that fellow that, that he was that was making the moonshine and that man repented. But things like that where your faith is so real that there, there's, nothing, there's nothing that you have holding it back. Your faith is so set and your, your direction is so certain and your focus is on heavenly things and not on what's temporal. I, I, I firmly believe that once we can get our minds out of right now these circumstances and focused on the Lord Jesus Christ 
we can have in our lives something that hasn't been around on a large scale for a while. And we have situations, not only in this country, but in the world where you have periods where the wicked are the wicked rule night and day. And the folks that are saved aren't speaking up. A lot of that has to do with this society of um, compromise that we have. Well, we all need to get along. You know, we all need to be friends. Well, we, we are, we're not told to walk with somebody that doesn't agree with us. Um, we're not supposed to be... How can you be friends with somebody that's on their way to hell and not tell them to repent and seek Christ and get saved? I, it doesn't make any sense. But we quench the Holy Spirit in our lives when there's opportunities there to talk to somebody. When there's a lull in a conversation or there's, there's an opportunity that you that you're on the train and there's someone there and all of a sudden you start talking. And boy, I wonder if, you know, if this guy knows who Jesus Christ is or has ever heard the gospel. And then you say, well, train's going to stop soon. I, I, probably, I probably should. I don't have enough time. We quench the spirit a lot. And it's because of our focus not on Jesus but on what's going on in our lives the busy lives that we've created for ourselves. I think of what's been accomplished. You go 100 years back, let's say, before we have television, before we have all of these distractions, and what people accomplished. Like, these people would write, like, thousand-page books and stuff. Like, these things that it's like they, they, they used their time. They would master language. They understood concepts that you you got to go to college for uh, a lot of that those things it's because we're distracted we're distracted by stuff that just doesn't matter and we let ourselves be distracted by stuff that just doesn't matter you know, maybe that's a this is a part of this ISAV that Jesus is talking about you got to see things for what they are and time is shorter minute by minute time is shorter minute by minute so in fastening and laying hold onto eternal life, focusing and concentrating on those promises and investing, and investing in those things. You know, uh, I, I wrote down, every Christian stock portfolio ought to have the following items. That gold that's tried in fire, that white raiment and that ice have. Those are three things that we ought to have in stock laid up we have our four items here flee follow fight and fasten in our escape from Laodicea <clears throat> something that we can get started on now it isn't a magic formula it isn't it isn't a matter of some sort of uh, you know a supernatural thing where you uh, say something and all of a sudden you get hit and, by lightning and you're, you're doing wonderful things. Uh, it's a step-by-step -step process. Pa uh, Paul laid it out to Timothy and Jesus Christ laid it out to the church at Laodicea what to do. Uh, 
And being that Christendom in this time uh, is infested and infected with this Laodicean, you know, love of money, love of things, focusing not on God but on what's temporal and what's what's here and now. And it's something that is ingrained in our culture, something that is very difficult to override, something that doesn't happen overnight. And that's the reason why it's so heavenly ingrained in the churches here in the United States especially. I think of churches in other countries where there's oppression and they have four and five hour you know, preaching services. Well, we won't have that tonight. I don't have that much material on hand, but I think of people on fire for God's word having this hunger and this thirst and seeing the incredible things that are being done in these places. And it's because of the abundance we have. We're content because our sin nature is is fastened and focused on here and now. And because we have what we need right need right now, we're not allowing God to do these works that will will stand the test of time eternal. And so by God's grace, we can apply these things. By God's grace, I know that I need to apply them to my life and that we all may make our escape from Laodicea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your uh, teaching and your instruction, your reproof that you have in your word here, telling us to repent, telling us to flee these things that the church at Laodicea was, was doing. We pray, God, that you would help us to apply these truths to our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would work wondrous works here at the church. God, that each one of us would be in our place. Lord, that we would have boldness. Father, that you would empower us. God, give us the right mind to be in the right place, that you'd be able to use us to serve you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and uh, can have your heads bowed. I'm going to have a, just open the altar up for some uh, time of invitation.